The Bible predicts not only the appearance of the Lord Jesus at the end of time, but also the appearance of mockers and scoffers at the end of time. So we shouldn't be surprised when they show up. They're called apostates. In fact, he spent all of chapter 2 describing an apostate. An apostate is not simply an unbeliever. Certainly all apostates are all unbelievers, but not all unbelievers are apostates. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part two of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Scoffing at Christ's Return. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3, the Apostle Peter instructs us about the persistence of mockers in the present day. Furthermore, Peter explains that their two driving motivations are based on their own lustful desires and willful ignorance. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. Just as the people mocked in Noah's day, just as the citizens of Sodom mocked the possibility that there would be fire and brimstone from heaven in Lot's day, even so the people in this day mock and scoff that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And so why do the scoffers scoff? Why do the mockers mock? Well, he explains two driving motivations here in verses 3 through 5. First, their mocking is based on lustful desires. Their mocking is based on lustful desires. Look again at verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And so why do false teachers, why do these apostates scoff and attempt to make fun? Why do they try to get other people to follow their examples? It's very simple. They want to continue living in their sin. And if your lifestyle contradicts the word of God that a pastor is preaching, you either change your lifestyle or you change your opinion of the Bible. And that's where we are today in a profound way like we've never seen before. And if you don't get anything out of this sermon but this, just follow this. Mark it down big and plain and clear. When you meet someone who says, well, I don't believe the Bible's the word of God. I'm not sure there's a heaven. I'm not sure there's a hell. I'm not sure there's even a God, then you are speaking to someone who has a moral problem. You have just met a person, to use Peter's words, that are following after their own lusts. Now, they may be living with someone. They may be having an affair. They may be getting ready to leave their spouse. They may love the bottle or some pill that they're taking. Maybe they're hooked on porn but they are following after their own lusts. And rather than set their conscience according to what the Word of God says, they recalibrate their conscience, which means they must mock and scoff at you. And I have no doubt there are some maybe who are tuned in today who are laughing and mocking me. They're just saying, he's one of those doomsday Bible-thumping preachers. Here's a photo after someone claimed, oh, Jesus is coming. This foolish person, as we'll see in a moment, even set a date. And so they said the end was nigh, and it made national news everywhere. Well, where is he? 
You Christians, you say he's coming. Where is he? And so they hate us today. More and more, because we say Jesus is coming back. We're speaking accountability. They hate us because we say there's only two genders. They hate us because we say the baby in that womb is human life created by God. And while I am so thankful, because I've prayed for it for decades, as many as you have, that it would go back to the States because maybe we could stop or at least slow down this death run. Militant baby killers. That's what they are. They are baby killers. Don't whitewash what God plainly says. Now, God wants to forgive the baby killer. But listen, if you can't find forgiveness because you don't want forgiveness, then you will attack the moral standard that God has set. So they hate us because we say there's just two genders. They hate us because we say that life in the womb is human life created by God. And they hate us because we say marriage is between a man and a woman. And so we have an upside-down morality in our day. Why? Because they're following after their own lusts. Peter has already said in 2 Peter 2.19, promising them freedom, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. That's why we have these scoffers. They want the legalization of drugs. Who would have ever imagined that we would legalize pot? And listen, young person, the pot that you're smoking is 20 times stronger than maybe the pot your parents smoked. And much of it is laced by fentanyl. And it's coming across the southern border. And in one year, we went from an average of 20,000 overdose deaths a year to over 100,000. The evil one has come to kill and destroy. They love homosexual marriage. They love this wicked sex ed instruction that your kids are given, most of them starting in the third grade. Well, I didn't know that's happening. Well, you better wake up because it's happening all across America. You see, their problem is not a problem of their head. It's a problem of the heart. They're following after their own lusts. So number one, their mocking is based on their lustful desires. Number two, their mocking is based on willful ignorance. It's based on willful ignorance. Let's keep reading. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. What are they saying? They're saying, you preachers have been preaching this for 2,000 years. I had a guy tell me, that's what my grandmother said. She said, Jesus was coming back. She's dead now. Well, she was right to say Jesus is coming back. She had it right. They say, well, day follows day, night follows night, month follows month, year follows year, century follows century. Where is he, Christian? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning. Where is this promise of his coming you guys have been preaching? 
And then they argue, according to the laws of nature, life is simply one continuous, unbroken experience. It's called uniformitarianism. Nothing has changed. Nothing cataclysmic has ever happened in time and space. This idea that Jesus is coming back is just foolishness. But Peter says such a denial is willful ignorance. Look again at verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. Now, if you have the NASB with marginal notes, when there's a more literal rendering that may not read smoothly, they'll put it out there in the margin. So you'll notice the margin. You might want to circle it. For they are willfully ignorant of the fact. In fact, the King James follows the Greek a little more literally here. For they willfully are ignorant. The new King James says they willfully forget. You know, some people are ignorant just because they're ignorant, but other people are ignorant because they're willfully ignorant. They deliberately overlook, the ESV renders it. They put out their own eyes because they do not want to see the truth. Why? Because if what I'm preaching is true this morning, that means they are accountable. That means they're going to have to deal with the living God. And Jesus said men won't come to the light. Why? Because they love their evil deeds. Paul says they will suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Willful ignorance. Again, verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. They willfully and deliberately ignore God's hand in the creation. And they do it all in the name of science. Now listen, I'm not opposed to science. It all depends what you mean by science. There's a difference between operational science and origin science. I love science in that I can get in an airplane and fly to the other part of the world or call someone up in the Ukraine as I just did or uh, call my children in another state and FaceTime with them. That's operational science. But operational science is far different from origin science. You see, operational science can be tested in a laboratory where origin science is sheer theory and it's based on some presuppositions. That A, there is no God and there is no such thing as the supernatural. So you have to come up with another way in which you explain this world. And so a paleontologist who's a born-again Christian, he will come to a very different conclusion from what he will examine than one who starts with the premise that there's no God and there's no such thing as miracles. And most Christians today are just ignorant. That was the basic premise in which evolution was formed under. And so you have these unbelievers who are willfully ignorant. The so-called intelligentsia. They believe it's superstition for us to teach what we teach. Nothing cataclysmic has ever happened in time and space. And they're basically saying, don't confuse me with the truth. Follow Peter's reasoning. It's very clear here. For when they maintain this, when they're willfully ignorant over these things, it escapes their notice. By design, willfully, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. 
So Peter points to their inconsistency by underscoring two truths. One, God's intervention in the creation of the world. And secondly, God's intervention in a worldwide flood. He's telling us that God is not so far removed from the creation as the evolutionists would want us to believe. God created the heavens and the earth by his word. Nine times in Genesis 1, it says, and God said, and God said. God spoke it into existence. The psalmist said, put it in the margin next to verse 5, Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So the Bible is clear that God just spoke it all into existence. And if you do not understand that, then you don't understand anything. Because if you're ignorant of the past, you will, by virtue of logic, be ignorant of the future. If you are wrong about the origin of the world, you will be wrong about the destiny of the world. The very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so many foolish Christians today are saying, oh, you, you know, you can believe in theistic evolution. So we have a so-called apologist by the name of Tim Keller who says theistic evolution is a viable option. No, it's not. It contradicts the plain teaching of Scripture that death enters into the universe through sin, that there was no death prior to sin entering into the world. And so Keller argues that chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis are contradictory and full of errors unless they're poetry. So not wanting to say that they're contradictory and erroneous, he said the first two chapters of Genesis are poetry. Listen, people want to reject the truth of the creation because they want to reject the truth of God. Jesus said, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men, meaning people, love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So his first argument is rooted in creation. Mr. Skeptic, Mr. Mocker, you say God never intervened before. Well, he did because by his word, he created the world. By his world, he, word, he flung out the stars. He scooped out the seas. He made it all just by speaking it. What's their theory? Out of the glue into the zoo, that became you. Well, where did the glue come from? Where did this inorganic matter come from that this whole planet and world and universe evolved from? They have no explanation. So Peter is showing their faulty reasoning. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago. His argument is simple. It's all done by God's spoken word. By the word, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now follow along. He gives a second illustration when God directly intervened, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. Now you see that word flooded? It's the Greek word cataclysmo. It's a Greek word that means to deluge or to overwhelm with water. We get our English word cataclysm from it. In other words, he's saying there was a great flood. There was a time when God intervened before in time and space. 
So God powerfully brought about an intervention when he created the world, and he spoke the universe into existence, and God brought about a second intervention when he flooded the whole world with water. The psalmist said it so well. I love Psalm 115 and verse 3. But our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. If you were here a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus said the coming of the Son of Man would be like the days of Noah. And we saw that there are three major characteristics that typified the people in Noah's day. There was godless apostasy. People were falling away from the truth that God had given them. The moral code, the moral dictates that God had. In addition, there was godless anarchy, and so there was gross immorality, there was violence, there was lawlessness, and there was great apathy because Noah, whom the New Testament tells us was a preacher of righteousness, they just yawned in the face of his sermons. And may I remind you those same three characteristics typify the day in which we live in. And so the Bible says here in verse 6, the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. So Peter is just saying, don't be discouraged by these, this teaching of uniformitarianism that God has never intervened before because he has in the creation and in the world flood. And you know what I find interesting? That those are the two principal doctrines in the last 95 years that secularists have attacked. It's like God was looking down the corridors of time to the end of time when the last days would go from bad to worse, knowing that man would attack him as the creator and they would attack this truth that there was a great flood. You know, the flood story is not unique to the Bible. After the flood, of course, the world was populated again and man got arrogant and there was the Tower of Babel. And so God brought confusion, the Hebrew word for a babel. And so they were divided, of course, by their language groups. You would hang with someone you could understand. And people married within their language groups. And so we have not the races. There's one race. We have the ethnicities, the goyim, the ethnos, that came as a result of the Tower of Babel. Of course, the evolutionists want you to believe something different. But understand, God's word is clear. God's word is crystal clear that what took place at Babel was a precursor to what's going to happen. We'll see it before we're done. We are going to see that what happened at the Tower of Babel is going to be replicated at the end of time. But you need to come back for the rest of the series, so I'm going to just save that as a commercial. But what I want you to see here is that the world was created by God's word, but in a moment's time, it's going to melt down. Notice here the phrase, it's reserved for fire. The word reserved there is the Greek word therazo. We get our word a thesaurus from it. A thesaurus is a collection of things. In fact, if you have the Young's literal translation, it says that not reserved for fire, but treasured with fire. Paul uses this same word in Romans 2 when he talks about people who have all this revelation, but they ignore the revelation God has given them. And what are they doing? They're treasuring up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath. 
Hell is awful for anyone who goes there, but it won't be the same for everyone. Somehow in the perfect justice of God, some are treasuring up more wrath than others. Jesus used the same word when he commanded believers to treasure up things in heaven and not on earth. Same verb. And so God says here that the world is reserved or stored up or treasured with fire. What's he speaking about? Well, I'm not sure Peter fully knew, but God the Holy Spirit knew when he had him pen this. Maybe he revealed it to him, but it doesn't change the truth of what was written. You know, until a short time ago, 70 or so years ago, man didn't know that within every object on the earth, there's energy. And so we learned how to split atoms, and so we have the atomic bomb. Science tells us that in, the gla- in a glass of water, if they could figure it out, they say there's enough energy in a glass of water to take an ocean liner all the way around the world. Now, if you told that to my grandfather that there was fire and power and rocks and in water, he would have thought you were crazy. But that's what science realized, and so they gave us the first atomic bomb. By the way, someone asked me recently, do I think the world will be destroyed by a nuclear holocaust? And of course, the answer from the Bible is no. That's not to say that we couldn't have some kind of limited nuclear war. But as we'll see this morning, the scripture is very clear. That's not how the end will come. In fact, in Colossians 1.17, you should write it out in the margin next to verse 7. There it says that in him, in Christ, he holds all things together. Everything in the universe, all of its power is held together by Christ. But one of these days, he's going to open his hand. And there's going to be a big meltdown. In fact, fast forward to verse 10 in your mind here. Notice he says, but the day of the Lord, if you've been with us in this series, we've seen that the day of the Lord is not referring to a specific day, but to a time frame, like the day of your youth doesn't refer to one day, but that time in which you were a youth. Go back and look at the second message in this series, and we saw the day of the Lord includes the great tribulation period, the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign of the Messiah. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which, now please notice, circle that word in. It doesn't say at which, in which. Every word is inspired, Jesus said. Every letter is inspired, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said the smallest mark within a letter is inspired. If it had said at which, then at the second coming, the whole earth would melt down and that's the end. He is talking about the day of the Lord in which during this whole time frame, during this whole program, one of the things that will take place, which John puts at the end of the thousand year period, the world will melt. Look at it. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, that word roar, it doesn't come out in English, but it comes out in Greek. It's one of those onomatopoeia words. We have words like that in English that sound like um, you read them. There's sound to them, so to speak. Well, the word here in Greek refers to a crackling roar. In fact, the King James tries to capture the onomatopoeia of the Greek. It says, with a great noise. That's beautiful. One of these days, Jesus is going to open his hand, and there's going to be a tremendous explosion. You see, man has it backwards. 
We think it all began with a big bang. It's going to end with a big bang. God's just going to let it all go. And the creation will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. They'll melt. Now, if you tried to tell my grandfather that, he would have thought you were crazy. That there is energy within matter, that it's stored up with fire, but it's someday the Lord is going to let it go. So, one... God's past involvement also alerts us to his future judgment, but God's present patience also alerts us to his unchanging love. His unchanging love. Let's look at verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Once again, Peter exposes the ignorance of the mockers. Not only are they ignorant of what God has done in the past, they are willfully ignorant of what God himself is like. They want to create and manufacture God the way they want him to be, not the way he is. Now, God has no beginning, and God alone has eternality. Now, man has immortality, but there's a difference. God had no beginning or end. But when God created you, he created you to be an immortal person. You will live forever and ever and ever, either in heaven or in hell. But God is eternal, and he dwells above and apart from his creation. We call that the imminence of God. God is beyond time. God doesn't operate by some alarm clock. In God's economy, one day is like a thousand years, and the thousand years is like a day. Moses prayed this in Psalm 90, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by or as a watch in the night. So God sees things from a perspective that the mockers don't. Oh, 2,000 years you've been preaching Jesus is coming. And Peter is reminding us he's only been gone two days. The Lord is not slow about his promise. So one, they don't understand God's eternality, but neither do they understand God's patience. That's what he underscores here. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Why? Because he's merciful. He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So why has he delayed his return? It's not because he's impotent. It's because he's patient. And he's patient because he's holding the door of mercy and forgiveness open another day. Not wishing for any to perish. You believe that? I hope you do. There are some Christians who say it's all prearranged. And God created some to live in heaven. And God created some to live in hell. That you have no real choice. Don't ever let that get into your heart. God says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He is willing that none should perish, but all come to repentance. Please join us tomorrow for part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, Scoffing at Christ's Return. If you enjoyed today's message, remember that you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 007. If you missed any of Pastor Carl's previous sermons in this series, download the Search the Scriptures app found on the iTunes and Google Play Store 
or you can also listen to our current series online at searchthescriptures.org. Remember that you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling, or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.